This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. I hope you are having a wonderful Tuesday right here in the 901 or wherever you happen to be listening to us from. If you just changed the dial now and you are joining us, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. For those who may not know about the organization behind Meanwhile in Memphis, we are New Memphis. And I am Anna Thompson, our Marketing and Communications Manager, and I'm so excited to be hosting today's episode for you today, dear listener. New Memphis is a local leadership development nonprofit that is transforming Memphis through the power of connection. As part of that, we have a full menu of leadership development programs from college students all the way to C-suite executives and everything in between. Another way that we do this is through our oh-so-fabulous community engagement events, which we have one of today. And another way is through this radio show in partnership with WYXR. So I'd encourage you to go to newmemphis.org to learn more about how we celebrate our city. Today, dear listener, that community engagement event that I was talking about is Celebrate What's Right, The Great Abate. And I am so so excited that in a few short hours, I will be at the University of Memphis Holiday Inn. We will be with our wonderful sponsors, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee and First Horizon Foundation. We will be hearing insights from panelists like Dr. Kenneth Robinson, uh, Julie Sannon, Dr. Sally Gates Parrish, Effie Johnson, and Susan Deason. Um, we are very excited to talk about abatement in our city and specifically youth poverty and the creative solutions that so many are providing our community to make sure that our young people are thriving and have their basic needs met to do so. So in that same vein, we actually today have Dr. Angela Hargrave from Memphis Shelby County Schools in the studio with us. Dr. Hargrave serves as the executive director of the Student Equity Enrollment and Development um, department, office, yes, office. Um, That office is also referred to as SEED, so you will hear me say that a lot during our upcoming chat. The Office of SEED strives to empower principals, support parents, and enrich students every day while ensuring that federal funding continues as a result of the Office of Civil Rights Compliance. Their office cultivates positive climates to ensure that school environments are conducive for instruction, and their vision is to create a school community that is sensitive and responsive to the needs of an increasingly diverse population. She will get into a little bit more about what her office um, entails and encompasses, and it's pretty much everything that I ever thought um an office at a school district would do, it touches their office in some way. So they are extraordinarily busy and very, very talented. So I'm excited for that. Dr. Hargrave herself has earned degrees from Grambling State University, the University of Mississippi, Union University, and the University of Memphis. Professionally, Dr. Hargrave has worked in Shelby County Schools for 27 years and currently serves as the executive director of the SEED office. Dr. Hargrave previously served as the special education teacher, coordinator, and assistant principal before moving to student services in 2006. In her role with the district, Dr. Hargrave serves to protect the rights of students and ensure that all students have access and the opportunity to learn. This is also a great opportunity to remind our dear listeners that we have our Educator of Excellence Award nominations and applications open until June 30th. 
educators are worthy of so very much. So we have tacked on a little special segment with our director of that work, Aaron Wendell, later in the episode. So you will hear a lot more about that. But you can also head over to newmemphis.org to learn more about our educator work as well. I'm excited to learn more about Dr. Hargrave's personal journey and how she got interested in this work, plus about all of the impact of the SEED programs and the greater Memphis community. So I won't keep you waiting any longer, dear listener. Here is my chat with Dr. Angela Hargrave. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Hargrave. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good for this Tuesday morning. I cannot complain. Um, I wanted to get us started and just have you tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself um, and how you got to your current role so that um, you're not a native Memphian, correct? No, I'm not. Okay. So take us back a little bit on your journey and then what brought you to Memphis originally. Oh, wow. So um, I am originally from Natchez, Mississippi. Yes. And I um, have um, been in Memphis so long, I have to think about that because I feel like a native Memphian, even though um, I'm not. But I moved to Memphis in 1995, right after I got married. Oh. So uh, my husband and I are both from Natchez. And we, when we got married, we knew that we wanted to stay sort of close to home but not at home okay (laughs) Um, just for more opportunities and so we had visited memphis his sister and her family had moved to memphis a few years before we got married and we would visit them and we just fell in love with memphis so um, we moved here right after we got married and stayed we um, started a family we now have four children Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) We raised our children right here in Memphis and uh, Memphis is home. I love that. Um, My sometimes um, co-host Christy Mullen uh, is a chosen Memphian. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I think that carries a little more clout than the native Memphians around here because um, y'all fell in love with Memphis in a whole different way than those who were brought up here. And so I love that. Um, So tell me a little bit about your educational journey and how you got interested in education. Yeah. Um, So um, it's interesting because I I used to teach Sunday school at my church. And um, in doing so, uh, you know, I was um, able to really just um, start to see how it feels to to bring information to children and watch them, you know, catch it when that light bulb comes on and, and really uh, be interested in it. And through that process, um, there was a student who, well, a child who was in my church, part of yes. my church, uh, but he was one of my Sunday school students. And um, I wanted him to be in my class because um, he, he had some challenging behaviors. So I didn't know the terminology at the time. But I later understood that he um, had been diagnosed with autism. Mm. Um, so um, it was difficult for him to really acclimate to the environment. But I just kind of naturally gravitated towards him um, as a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, and was able to really uh, do a great job with him, if I must say so. Yes, brag a little Help, bit. Yeah, so helping him manage his behaviors. And so I just kind of... I felt like I just was a natural fit to be a special education teacher. Uh, But I was not encouraged to go into education as a career. Um, Really? And 
I I come from actually a family of educators. Ooh, <laughs> um, okay, so maybe I was too I, close to it. <laughs> right. So I was encouraged um, to, if I was going to go into education, to do something on the general ed side and not special education. And just because there have always just been, I think, challenges um, that are associated with that for some reason, I, I don't know. But I do know that when I got to college, I decided to major in accounting. What? <laughs> and um, so I was majoring in accounting and I took this class and um, part one of the assignments in the class was to do a personality uh, kind of survey, you know how you just yes. kind of, and then um, when we did that, uh, then we had to look at the personality traits of someone in the career path that we had chosen. And when I looked at the personality traits of an accountant, none of the none of matched. it fit me. None of them <laughs> matched. Match. Ooh, light bulb uh, moment. Right. Uh, but everything still pushed me toward education and even special education. Um, so I decided to go back and talk to my advisor. And I said, what can I do? Because I think I really just need to teach it. I want to teach special education, but people have kind of scared me about going into special education. And so she said, well, we have a dual major. So why don't you uh, get certified to teach elementary, elementary ed and special education? And then that way, if you, you know, you start in special ed and if you decide that's not what you want to do, you're certified in, in just general, general elementary yes. ed. So I did that and started in special education, loved it. It's just as I thought. Mm -hmm. It was perfect. <laughs> I started in small town Louisiana, Faraday, Louisiana. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, and I think Jerry Jerry Lee Lewis is maybe from there. Junkyard Dog, if you're oh. old enough to remember The Wrestler. <laughs> uh, so that's Faraday, Louisiana. Wow. And, um, I taught self-contained special ed there. Uh, but, of course, when we decided to move to Memphis and we got married in 95, um, I came here, started teaching special education in Shelby County Schools, and just kind of continued my journey. I uh, was told, because sometimes people tell you more about yourself than you know, yes. I was told that I was a natural leader, and that, you know, with um, all of the ideas that I had and the things that I was doing with my students, I needed to share that because people wanted to hear it. They wanted to, to uh, learn things that I knew, and so um, I moved into administration. I became a special education curriculum coordinator. Ooh. And loved that because I had the opportunity to work with special education teachers and students across the district because I was always trying to find a reason to be in the classroom and interact with the children, even though I was on the administrative side. Um, and then I actually became an um, assistant principal, middle school assistant principal. Um, so that was a different experience for me because I had been totally on the special education side. Okay, yeah. And the gen ed was just, you know, those were the other people in the building. <laughs> they just happened was, to be in the same building as you. Because <laughs> yes, my focus was students with disabilities yeah. and, you know, making sure that they were able to gain the skills that they needed to be productive citizens. So uh, as the assistant principal, I suddenly had responsibilities that spanned across the whole school and the whole student body. Um, loved it again. 
and um, was able to, I was still responsible for the, um, the special education program and 504 in that school, but I also had some general duties. So I love doing that, but um, in keeping with what I had been doing, I, I um, was continuing to look for opportunities. And so I was uh, able to become a student services supervisor at the central office. Okay. Um, which I then found out again was another perfect fit. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's, I'm, I'm sensing a pattern here. Yes. So um, I just I enjoy just being able to be in a position to help anybody who comes my way, and so I, I love just the out of the box thinking that I'm able to do. And so um, you know we have so our everything that we do in our office is centered around policy and law, but then we deal with the people who just don't fit all the time into that box. And so we are looking for just, um, you know, creative ways to help them maneuver through the system and, and still, uh, you know, be able to, to have success. So, um, I have been, the student services department has then evolved around me. So it's still that department that I, I, started in in 2006 but not really not really yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's definitely you had some changes yes yes okay so I wanted to you told me a little bit about your current role mm-hmm. at M is it Memphis Shelby County Schools right? right okay I always forget the M but I'm, I'm getting used to it guys I promise that's right <laughs> so Memphis Shelby County Schools so what in your estimation because you've been an educator in other cities, in other states, and you've had multiple roles within the Memphis education system. In your view, what makes Memphis unique? Oh, wow. We have more opportunities within a public school system than anybody I've seen. The um, We are such a diverse district, and I don't think that um, people realize it, but uh, when you really dig in, um, it's amazing the amount of opportunities here. And within the city of Memphis, you know, Memphis, of course, we know we always talk about Memphis is the distribution hub. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have FedEx here, but we don't understand the magnitude, I think, of that and the possibilities that it opens up for our children. So uh, within the district, all of the STEM we have so many opportunities with STEM. We've expanded our CCTE to give students just that um, hands-on experience and um, exposure to all these different career opportunities. With you know, uh, you know, just just so many different things. And so, um, you know, we have students who leave us who already have flight hours toward becoming a pilot. Wow. and um, That's an accomplishment right there. Yes. I mean, my word. And just the logistics, you know, because when you talk about being a distribution capital, well, then that means that logistics is a great career in Memphis. Yes. And you can actually start receiving that kind of training and exposure in high school in our district. And just, I mean, it just goes on and on. So I just think that a lot of times uh, people don't even have an understanding of the vast opportunities and the diverse opportunities that are available right here in Memphis and Shelby County Schools. I love it. Um, Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the SEED office. So 
I was unfamiliar with the work of Deceit Office. So pretend that our listeners were as clueless as I am, (laughs) sadly. So tell us a little bit about it. So Deceit Office is, um, is the hub of all of the supports that anyone might need. So starting from getting into school with registration and school choice, that's our office. If you okay. just need help, if you just need, how do I enroll? How do I choose a school? I don't want, how do I even know what school I'm assigned? Right. How do I know which school is the best fit for my child? Because you just, you know, you have Every child's unique, yes. yes. Um, seed, start. that's the seed office. So we start with enrollment, registration, school choice. And then once your child is in school, there are so many different things that happen. So um, if you are... Um, concerned about behavior support. So our office is where you would receive behavior supports, uh, counseling. Uh, The mental health center is a part of the SEED office. So the mental health center is licensed with social workers and psychologists who provide clinical therapy, behavior supports. And um, then we also, if you have any kind of barriers, homelessness, homeless, foster care, migrant students. So all of those are protected students who um, have certain protections under federal law in our office to make sure that those students receive those protections and supports. Truancy. So if there are things that have caused your child to not attend school, you become truant. We enforce the truancy policy and um, make sure that those interventions and supports are in place. And then if those things still don't work, you know, it does move to a more punitive kind of function with juvenile court. However, we make every effort to try to help um, remove those barriers and get children back in school. Then, if your child, um, and just along the lines of the behavior supports, just say that your, your child Uh, messes up. We all mess up We all make mistakes, yes. Um, We all make mistakes and we have consequences for those mistakes but we also have interventions and support so we are also the discipline office and (laughs) so uh, if a student is um, suspended long term, they are they do have a right to a due process hearing and our office handles those hearings. But one of the things that we also do is try to ensure that the school has use progressive discipline. So we're kind of the enforcers of um, not just, you know, um, not taking something, you know, that a child has done one mistake and just going all the way, you know, oh, you messed up. To the end of the line, yeah. So just those kind of progressive measures and and interventions and supports. Um, So we, and we kind of evolved in that area, probably one of the things that I'm most proud of. Uh, because for years we were trying to figure out how do we reduce suspensions? What is going to really impact what the things that are causing children to get removed from school? And so um, about four years ago, I, uh, I was in, sitting in a meeting and we were talking about that and we kept talking about all these, these reasons why children are acting up. You know, and when I talked to principals and administrators, they would say, you know, well, 
I understand. I know that, you know, this child has been through a lot, but I still have to maintain a safe environment. I don't have the staff to address that. So mm -hmm. we have to remove the child who may be disrupting class so that we can make sure that the other children learn. Well, so then, um, so, you know, one of the things that I've learned how to do over the years is to take what I have, take the resources that we have, and multiply them <laughs> without actually getting additional right. funding. So the, the people who work in my office are so phenomenal that anytime I have these big, bright ideas and visions, <laughs> they sit there and they look at me <laughs> and they say, okay. Okay, but, Dr. Hargrave. <laughs> but they make it happen. So I said, hey, y'all, we need to learn more about ACES. We need for our teachers and administrators to know more about ACES, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and how they're impacting okay. our students because we need them then to know how to support students so that we don't keep having all of these suspensions happening for students who have experienced trauma and they just need help. Right. So we need to move. So we started on a path of what I call moving from punitive to restorative. Love that. Love that. Didn't get any additional funding. Of course <laughs> those not. Staff. So I took members of my current team who I already knew were passionate about this kind of work, mm -hmm. sent them to a training that the state was providing through Building Strong Brains mm -hmm. in Nashville. And it was three of them. So those three people came back and set out on a quest to train everybody in the district. They were like, everybody needs this training. And they don't need the short version. They need the long version. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so Dr. Ray happened to be my chief at the time. He was not superintendent yet. He was the chief of the department where I reported. And I took it to him and I said, Dr. Ray, I need you to let me um, show you this. Let me do this training in our staff meeting. So just for our staff that reported to Dr. Ray at the time, all of the directors who reported to him, he allowed me to uh, to share the information about ACES, and he was sold immediately because, um, you know, it, it was just it was just in line with everything that we had talked about and how we needed to support students. And I said, this is for the adults because we've got to first educate them on what's happening to our children and what has even happened to some of them that causes them to respond the way they do to some of our students. Absolutely. So he said, yes, he took it to uh, then Superintendent Hobson and said, this is what we need to do. He was all for it. And I said, but everybody needs it. So it needs to be top down. So board members need to know this. Cabinet members need to know this. All of the district office staff needs to know this and also the school staff. So he said, I want everybody trained on ACES. It's mandatory. So I said, hey, wow. So then it was like, wait a minute, who's gonna do all this training? Yeah. Uh, so the three you're people- You're like, have a quick moment to celebrate and then you're like, wait a second. Now we've actually <laughs> got to do it. So um, the three people who had gone, they had got, the training that they had gotten was a full three day training to certify them to be trainers of trainers okay so they were able to to distribute train that. Other yeah and so everyone who was working in my department of course had to be trained to be a trainer so they all went through a three-day training and just to increase our capacity 
for for trainers. Uh, trainers. Yeah. <laughs> and so and then we we came up with a schedule for everybody. Um, so for the next several weeks, everybody in the central office, uh, the cabinet members, they rotated through the training session. So um, we uh, we did that and we were into the summer and we continued offering trainings for teachers. We had Saturday trainings where teachers came and um, just throughout the summer. And then by the end of the summer, I said, before school starts, guys, we need to make sure that every teacher has gotten this training before students are in front of them. And so they, they looked at me and they said, do you know that we have 6,000 teachers and only, you know, maybe a couple hundred of them had been able to come through the summer, summer trainings. And so they said, so are you saying that you think we're going to train over 5,000 people in one day? I said, absolutely, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how are we going to do that? So um, oh. I said, I can see it. It's a, a day of aces. That's all we're going to focus on. So the professional development department, um, they carved out one full day where every school, every teacher who had not already been through ACES training, which there was only a few. Yes, uh, <laughs> which was the vast majority. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so vast majority had already had not been through it. So um, we did, we identified three of our larger schools that had the capacity and they could choose one of those schools. And we, uh, we trained up. So what we did was we identified, so we had, we had 30 schools that were our pilot trauma-informed schools. So they were the first schools who were becoming trauma-informed. So each one of them had a team of three who had gone through the three-day trainer of trainers. So we pulled all of those school teams, and those people who we were had been training to be trainers, we gave them the presentation for this. Mod it was a modified version for this because we were trying to get everybody through it. We gave them the training. We practiced with them so that we would so be consistent because we wanted everybody, all of the groups to be consistent. So every, so whichever training you went to, you would get the same information, right. do the same activities. Right. So we did that across the district. Wow. And it was phenomenal. It was beautiful. This was pre-pandemic, so yes. we didn't know anything about social distancing, so we packed everybody in. Oh, yes. We <laughs> As we used to do. Yes. Um, so... Um, so, but the beauty of it is that it didn't stop there. So we didn't just make this grand stand about ACES and stop. We have continued the progression of you have the awareness of what it is. You know how it impacts brain development and social development. Now, then we moved into what do you do about it? So we started training. The next year, everybody had to be trained. We had school teams trained on what we call regulate to de-escalate. So it, oh. was, it was for teachers and how do you de-escalate behaviors. So when we talk about trying to be preventive, how do you, you know, how do you, when you recognize that this child is struggling, what do you do about it? Right. Instead of just, you know, you Waiting it, for it to become you, aces. <laughs> right. You let them blow up and then you send them to the office. Yeah. Um, so we have continued. We have a whole menu of trainings, professional development sessions. But we have uh, also been fortunate enough to 
um, to receive. We finally received some funding for some of this stuff. Oh, <laughs> yay. So uh, we were able to receive funding to add reset because earlier um you know i said that one of the things that i had heard from principals was that they can't spend time addressing these behaviors because they did not have the staff right and so we added reset assistance and reset rooms and the reset room is not punitive it's more of um it's a it's just what it says it's a, a time out for a student to come in there there's a trained uh, reset assistant in there who helps them just kind of get back on track or if they just needed a moment yeah to um, recoup just a minute yes. take a moment yeah mm -hmm. they can um, visit the reset room the rooms are beautiful uh, they are set up with just kind of therapeutic kind of furniture and lighting activities uh, that we have what we call six minute SEL lessons okay that the assistants are trained to do depending on the reason that the student is there or mm -hmm. what's going on with them. Sure. Um, the behavior specialists check in with the reset. We were able to also add additional behavior specialists in the schools. So um, we have seen dramatic decreases in suspensions and those exclusionary consequences. Um, I tell you a story, we had a student at one of our schools one of the high schools who uh, benefited from the reset room. Uh -huh. And she was so excited about it. She said, this was so great. The reset room has has allowed me to be able to continue to come into school and control my anxiety. So she's an artist. So she drew some artwork. She said, I wanna create some artwork to go into the reset rooms for other students who come in there to just to help the environment because it helped me so much. Isn't that awesome? How sweet. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just the, you know, just the stories from our students just, I'll just, you know, just, just make me know again that it's all worth it. And so my team, we are encouraged by just hearing from parents. Um, and like I said, and just the fact that we've been able to continue to build on this and it wasn't because you know how when you start something and people say oh yeah that's just you know that's the buzzword of the of the hour mm -hmm. they'll talk about it for a while and then it'll go away well no this has not gone away and we have continued to grow and expand and learn um, all the way up to our wellness centers I was about to say, I'd, I have it in my notes to ask about the wellness centers. Yes. Yeah, so, again, just continuing to build on creating these restorative environments across the district. We have, you know, we just, you know, we just keep looking for what's next. What else do we need to do? So, um, this year we established three family wellness centers because, like I said, we already had a licensed mental health center. And those clinicians do provide services at schools during the school day. However, we know that there are, you know, that's not going to get to everybody, and there are barriers to really, um, really trying to create the um, family environment. So there are some families that um, parents were not able to attend sessions with their children at the school during the school day. Some students, especially some of our high-performing students who may be in advanced-level courses, it's more stressful for them to miss class 
yeah, it's not it's not calming. It's not resetting right, anything. Like, I I've got a I'm missing class. I'm gonna have to try to uh, understand this and do all right. that. So the uh, wellness centers are open through the evening hours. Okay. To allow parents who may be working during the day to come or students who would just rather receive services after hours. And sometimes, you know, they don't want their peers to know that they are receiving services. So the centers are at three locations throughout the district, open to anybody in the district. So um, it's, you know, gives them a little bit more confidentiality and um, and then if there are siblings who attend different schools, they can come together now as opposed to, you know, one of them might be seeing a, a therapist at their school. Another one may be seeing somebody else, but they never really connected. So now the um, the therapist gets to actually work with the family. Wow. I bet that's tremendous. It is awesome. And I will tell you. Because so, I love testimonials. Oh, I love story time. <laughs> I love it. I had a parent who called because this summer, what we added, because I love adding things. <laughs> <laughs> what we added was a component for students who had been suspended. Okay. So you know how I talked about progressive discipline and that not going from zero to 180. So mm-hmm. like, and that's like from you haven't done anything to now you're out for a whole year. Well, there are some offenses that, we uh, state uh, state zero tolerance offenses, ah, okay. which means that that can happen. Like you may have a clean record, but hey, you've you done get, something you've on the no-no list. Drugs, yeah, you know you're out. Um, but the superintendent has the authority to decide to modify those suspensions. But um, they are not just modified without some sort of intervention. Uh, okay, okay. So um, we we have a program called SHAPE where students can um, attend the sessions after school. Sometimes that's, um, you know, sometimes that's uh, doable and sometimes they can't because you have to have transportation. Yeah, it's a whole um, other. <laughs> and then we made it to the summertime where school isn't even open. <laughs> and so, um, but we're using the family wellness centers. So our our uh, mental health center includes licensed alcohol and drug counselors. So there is a program called Seven Challenges, research-based program that um, helps to um, to address students who may have been um, experimenting with alcohol and drugs to teach them about the effects of that and making good choices, um, you know, decisions, and um, so and some other offenses. So we have some students who had committed other offenses. So we are we have been able to. Um, to invite those parents and students to use the family wellness centers to reduce those suspensions. So when they complete the allotted number of sessions this summer, they will be able to return to school and not um, still be under a suspension. And that has been phenomenal. So one of our parents called back the other day and she said, you know, I just called just to say thank you. She said the the wellness centers and this opportunity has changed my child's life. Uh, She said, I have a different child. He is opened up. There were things that were going on that we didn't know about. And um, he is opened up. And she just went on and on. And, you know, it's just, so I was like, that's why we're doing it. That's Absolutely. Why we're doing this. <laughs> it's a different child. Wow. Yes. I mean, the impact of that speaks for itself. Like, I mean, the change in tra- trajectory for mm-hmm. what could have been, but now is not. Yes. Is 
really exciting. Exactly. So, um, you know, so it's just continuing that and continuing to. So I listen. Um, one of my strengths is just being observant and listening. So I'm always trying to solve a problem too. So when, so what I hear when someone is talking or when there's a conflict or there's a problem, I'm listening for the problem to really understand the problem, and then I'm looking for solutions. So, because um, I'll ask, I'll say, "Well, what do you think will help, or what do you want?" And sometimes what the person says they want. Um, they may not really it's even, not quite the it whole might not be yeah. quite, but i'm like i know i know what we can do so i'm trying to come up with what we can do i'm not a what we can't do person i'm always a what can we do let's yes. see what we can't do <laughs> i love it that's a great way glass half full yeah um so you also help lead the district's trauma response efforts so that yes. kind of encompasses the new the three family wellness centers and some other stuff like that right right, right. so um that also in does correct me if I'm wrong. Does that include topics, obviously the ones you just spoke about, but also as varied as general mental health needs like anxiety, like you mentioned, but also with the global pandemic of the past couple of years, or helping students understand how to cope with um, with worldly issues like the school shooting in Texas mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. So is that another resource of these yes. wellness centers? Yes, it is. So what we did, uh, as soon as the pandemic hit in March of 2020, and, um, you know, initially we thought we were just going to have an extended spring break. <laughs> Everybody thought it. <laughs> and then when we realized that, that was not it, that was not it. Um, Superintendent Ray um, said, you know, he said, I want to make sure that our children are okay. Mm -hmm. How can we continue to keep children connected with mental health services? So um, my wheels started turning. And so, of course, uh, of course they did. Yeah. So um, at first, you know, we were thinking about some sort of like a call in where we would have the social workers there live and people could call in. But then I said, but that's just like a one session, one kind of deal thing. But, and people don't necessarily want to call in and try to talk. So then what can, so we ended up coming up with a uh, support line. So we established, we started to work on how, establishing an, an uh, we called it an SEL support line. And the support line um, would get you to a live social worker or psychologist. Okay. Uh, between working hours from, you know, nine to, I think we had a nine to four. And then at the same time, we simultaneously launched a recorded line. And the recorded line was for parents or students or anyone. It gave information. Um, and so if you wanted information on how to talk to your child about COVID or anxiety, how to deal with anxiety, depression, um, you know, if you suicidal ideations. And we also had the emergency line on there for the specialized crisis um, line for services okay, yeah. if there was an emergency. And so we were able to launch that within like a couple of weeks. Wow. And in April, once we realized. We yeah, once you realized it wasn't just a <laughs> prolonged break. Yes. So we were actually like one of the first, if not the first district to do that. And the reason I know that is because when we launched it and advertised it, I started receiving calls from other districts in I different bet, states. I bet you did. Saying, what are y'all doing? How did you do that? Uh, can you give us some pointers? Yeah. Which, and so, um, and, and it was, 
I mean, it, it's been awesome and it allowed us to have an opportunity for students, parents, or people just to call and ask questions or talk to someone. And so we were very proud of that. And um, that was, you know, really, really um, just something that, you know, we just kind of jumped into because of, you know, the, the hand that we have all been dealt, mm-hmm. <laughs> as, you know, with the pandemic. And um, just to continue those connections, then we set up teletherapy. So they through that, um, you know, they were able to, social workers could set up teletherapy sessions and continue to, to see um, students and families. That's really exciting. I love mm-hmm. a big wins like that for our community. Yes. I love it. Um, so let's see, what is your hope for the future of education in Memphis? like you have many <laughs> yes I do um, I really I, I, I think that we are on the right path I think that uh, I hope that we will be able to pull together in Memphis as a community to really value what we have in our school system and in our children you know I don't know that the community as a whole sees the value in our children and what they can do, the, the potential, the possibilities, because, um, you know, I don't, I, I hope that we are able to nurture that and really set our priorities as a community around that focus. Because, you know, I really just believe that if you can have a laser focus on something and stay focused on it and not get distracted, that you can achieve that goal, and so um, you know, I'm just um, I'm just hopeful because I've seen what can happen just in the world of the seed office. Yeah, <laughs> at Memphis and Shelby County Schools, I've seen the impact, and you know, I I wish that everybody could see that because it's phenomenal. And like I said, just the anecdotal anecdotal stories of the impact and families who have been able to reap the benefits of the resources, I know that, you know, there are just greater things to come, and I just i am hopeful that everybody catches the vision. <laughs> As I'm always saying, catch the vision. Come on, don't you see what we have here? So um, I, I think it'll be just great for for our community as a whole and for the future of Memphis. Memphis has so much potential it really does. And, then, you know, I just, like I love the Grizzlies. And I'm not even a sports fan, but what? I found myself, like, keeping up with the Grizzlies. I'm, I'm uh, sure. Them. Yes. So that kind of excitement around education, I mean, oh, my gosh, what could we do with that? <laughs> you know? Oh, I love that. I love that mm-hmm. comparison, too. I mean, you think if about we could all start, see, yeah, yeah, if we I could mean, all be pulling together yes. like we do during playoffs for the, the Grizzlies. Yes. We felt the unity around the Grizzlies. Yes, let's unite like that around our children and public education. Yes. So, yes. Wow, that is a powerful statement, and I love that. That is, I love your optimism, too, by the way, and your, mm-hmm. I like your, your, um, solutions-minded approach yes. to everything. I think yes. that's infectious. So I'm definitely catching that vision yes, from you. It, so <laughs> I, lo- I do love that. So how can our listeners follow along or support the work that you're doing? Oh, we have so many ways. Ah, yay. <laughs> tell us. Uh, uh, so the first thing I tell people is, hey, email me. Call me. I, I put my cell phone number on my email uh, 
signature. Oh, because, you're brave. <laughs> <laughs> because I love to talk to people. I love to hear from people. Even if you have a problem, I want to know about that too because I'm like, hey, I think we can solve that. She, I think we, can, we can fix that. We can help you with that. So um, they, you know, people can reach out to our office, uh, reach out to me. Anybody on my team knows that, you know, we're like, you know, even if you call, people call me about things that have absolutely nothing to do with my department. And, I do not doubt that. But I say, <laughs> hey, but I know, I know who does that or who knows about that. Let me put you in touch with them or let me call them and I'm going to make them call you. I so, love it. <laughs> so just reach out. What are you most excited about for the next school year coming up in the fall 2022? You know, um, the great thing is, like, I'm always excited about what I don't even know is going to happen yet. <laughs> because I'm always thinking about, like, what when we, you know, my mom used to say, I think it was, like, her class motto or something from high school. It's like, we finish to begin. So I never feel like I'm done. I never feel like, oh, we've achieved this so we can go and sit back. And I was actually driving to work this morning listening to, um, Sirius XM radio mm -hmm. and this song came on and I called somebody on my team and I said schedule a meeting put everybody on teams I got to share this I have a new vision and they were like what and it, the song was ain't no stopping us now how fun I, so and so I called everybody on teams I said turn your cameras on <laughs> turn your cameras on and so I had the Supremes because mm -hmm. we did a routine called uh, we called ourselves the Supremes for one of our co-workers retired and so I was uh Diana Ross and we did the Supremes so I called in my Supremes <laughs> and we turned the camera on and so we would and so because I said that's our new theme song that's what we're doing for next year ain't no stopping us now because if you listen to the words of that song, it talked about, you know, um, even when there's a negative vibe, uh, but you know, we, you know, we just we got our groove, we're on the move, and ain't no stopping us now. <laughs> so energetic. Who needs coffee this morning? I mean, come on, let's just turn on some music. <laughs> I love right. it. I love it. Um, okay, so what, in your opinion, should the average Memphian know about Memphis Shelby County schools whether or not they have kids whether or not they have school-aged children what should the average Memphian know about Memphis Shelby County schools the average Memphian should know that Memphis Shelby County schools is it's the major hub of our community it is the center of our community when anything happens to a family to a child it is, I mean, it is usually one of our students or somebody, a connection. Memphis Shelby County Schools is a great place to, to sow into. You know, we talk about sowing seeds and reaping the harvest. I think that if the community sows seeds, it, you're sowing into good ground if you sow into Memphis Shelby County Schools. And I think that as a community, we will all reap a great harvest. I mean, I just don't even know how to end it better than that. But I do have one more question. We always end on this question. Mm -hmm. What does being a Memphian mean to you? Uh, you know, it's you feel a sense of pride, you know, and, and I just think that being a Memphian, because I chose to be a Memphian, is just um, I feel privileged and honored to be a Memphian.
Well, Memphis welcomes you with open arms, so I can tell you that as a native. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking time to spend with us this morning and share a little bit about what you do and sharing so much of the passion that you bring to the seed office and to Memphis Shelby County Schools. We are very, very lucky to have you as an asset. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Hey educators, are you pouring from an empty cup lately? Through New Memphis Stride, Memphis early career educators get time to fill their cups. Here's one of our five-star reviews. The programming surrounding self-care gave me a foundational understanding of the habitual changes I can make. You truly can't pour from an empty cup. I feel that so much of our job asks what more we can do for students, but Stride gave me a space to grasp what more I can do for myself so that I can do more for my students. Feel like you could use a mental refresh? Apply for the next Stride cohort today. Visit newmemphis.org stride for more information. Welcome to the studio, Erin Wendell, who just so also happens to be my office mate and work wife. Um, tell the people what you do here at New Memphis and what your title is. Uh, as Anna said, my primary role here is as her work wife, an annoying <laughs> office mate. Um, <laughs> but when I'm not doing that, I serve as the Director of Educator and Collegian Programs here at New Memphis. Longest title ever. Uh, just basically means I get to support both our educators in this city and our college students. Okay, great. So now you get to tell our lovely listeners um, a little bit about our educator work. Why is it so important? How does it align with our mission? Give us your, your spiel about our wonderful educators. Yeah, definitely. When I think about our mission and the fact that we are so focused on the talent in Memphis, I think there's no better place to start than thinking about our educators uh, because they are the ones developing the future talent and they are the current talent in our city. So and true. So I'm really thankful for the opportunity to work with them, knowing that they're responsible for the future of our city. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about our stride programming. Yeah, the Stride program is a cohort program. Um, So if our listeners are familiar, you know, with Fellows or Embark, similar model, but it's specific for, specifically for first, second, or third year teachers. It's a year, school year long program. It's half professional development. We call those laps. Uh, You know, you try to find your stride in this marathon (laughs) of teaching. We love a pun. Yes. Um, So your professional development sessions are your laps. And then half of the program is actually aid stations, um, again, with the pun. And those are the social events, really helping these these new teachers um, embrace Memphis, find a community of of folks who get what they're going through, um, and also develop professionally and build some of that resiliency. So over the course of the year, there are 12 total events. Again, the time is very intentionally split, half professional and half social, um, kind of practicing what we preach in terms of balance for those educators. Distinct from some of our other New Memphis programs, this is entirely free, knowing the pay scales that uh, are very different for teachers than other um, you know, professionals in our city, and we offer a $350 stipend per semester based on attendance, um, really investing in those teachers for the time that they're taking to invest in themselves and their own development. We've also got a great partnership with Memphis Shelby County Schools, so they can earn up to 12 professional development points over the course of the year, and that's about 20% of what they're required to get um, wow. through the district. So it's really a great opportunity for them 
to both be learning and you know fulfilling requirements, but but really more than that, getting to know our city um, and getting to know themselves as teachers and and as people in Memphis. Um, why this is I think a common question. Why is Stride specifically focused on early career educators and not any any educator? Definitely, we love any educator, <laughs> and we we have a teachers lounge series uh, event series for any educator, but. Specifically, this program, just thinking about the distinct set of needs that new teachers have, um, it is different. Uh, You know, it's a very steep learning curve in those early few years, and it's a time when people are deciding if this is the right profession for them. So we really want to pour in support in those early years um, to make sure that teachers find a way to sustain in this career and and provide them those tools. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the burnout is real. Um, particularly in when it came come to the classroom that's some head and heart work and so it's definitely an exhaustive profession for sure absolutely can't can confirm <laughs> can confirm <laughs> um, are you currently um, accepting stride applications and nominations for the upcoming 2022-23 cohort absolutely we have our applications and nominations are open in th- until uh, September 1st of this year um, we'll likely fill it before then but we know a lot of teachers are on summer break right now and maybe rightfully a little checked out so we want to be sure that we've got some time to catch them later in the summer as they're coming back into their schools um, so September 1st is the deadline because we'll kick off this next cohort uh, the following week and those applications can be accessed on the New Memphis website. Perfect. I love easy accessibility like that. Um, so another big part of the work that you do here um, is around our Educator of Excellence Award, which I think is super fun because it's one of the only major awards, really, that we have um, here at New Memphis. I mean, the Fellows class has an exemplar winner and things like that, but Educators of Excellence is kind of it. So tell us a little bit about what that award is and why it's so important. In the words of A Christmas Story, it's a major award. It is a major award. Uh, I hope I didn't misquote that. Yes. Yeah, so back in 2018, New Memphis instituted the Annual Educators of Excellence Award, um, now so graciously funded by the Cruz Family Foundation. And this is an annual award for five educators just to recognize the work that they're doing, to celebrate them publicly. It does come with a $1,500 cash prize again. What? Yes. Just a major award, I told you. Yeah. Um, really wanting to elevate the work that they're doing, support their growth. Again, thinking about the impact that they're going to have in our community, kind of the ripple effect for every classroom that they're teaching, what that means for the future of Memphis. Um, so we are partnering with Chalkbeat, uh, favorite ed organization, uh, journalism organization, and also with Spill It, a storytelling um, organization in town. And that's how we'll be announcing our winners this year at a combined event. So you'll get to hear from educators, hear their stories, and see these winners. But we don't know our winners yet because the application and nominations are still open for this as well, um, but only until the end of this month, June 30th. Um, So if you out there know a pre-k through 12th grade teacher instructional coach support staff school or network administrator Um, trust me they've been working so so hard always but especially um, with the changing requirements of the last couple of years Um, and they greatly deserve to be recognized for that effort so we would love you to nominate them if you are one of those people listening 
for you to apply so that we could potentially honor you as one of our winners. Um, just really getting to tell their stories. So you mentioned a couple things that made my ears perk up. So recognition is one of them. Why do you think that recognition in, in this type of format is so meaningful? Yeah, I think the classroom can sometimes be an isolating space. Um, and the work of educators, because everyone went to school, people think they know what educators have to do. Um, that's a good point. I, I think yeah. it's very much like a tip of the iceberg. So people have a lot of conceptions of what it means to be a teacher or administrator. Um, but by actually recognizing and honoring the folks in those roles, we get to hear directly from them about what you know their day-to-day looks like and, and to share their stories more broadly in the community and just recognize them as the professionals they are. So you also mentioned about the changing requirements of the last few years um, in the classroom, and I know that we also have a few changing requirements um, for this award, and they are breaking down some barriers. I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. We try to streamline it um, both in who can nominate and apply. It is open to anyone. Um, I was just talking with some of the New Memphis interns, and you know, they are students. Uh, you know, One is still in school, one recently graduated, and I said, who better to be recognizing the work of ed- educators than the students themselves so students can nominate parents can nominate um, fellow colleagues can nominate like I promise you you know an educator um, who's deserving and could get this nomination and we've also in in that partnership with Chalkbeat opened this up to support staff this year thinking about holistically who who all in a building um, is responsible for the well-being of kids every day and and so we're taking a really broad look at that that term educator and what it means. That's exciting. I know that there's a lot of a lot of cheers for that because I know, like you said, everybody um, really that is on a school property <laughs> is is concerned with child, having the best for the children. Absolutely. And so I'm excited to know that it's been opened up like that. Um, another change, I believe, is that there is no direct link to New Memphis, you don't have to be an alumni to win this award. Correct. You obviously can be, and we highly encourage all of our New Memphis program alumni to nominate and apply, but it is not a requirement as it has been in years past, correct? Correct, because we know that, um, you know, we've we've only had a program specific to educators for a a little while now, um, and there are plenty of educators out in this city that New Memphis has yet to meet, but we are excited to. So, any and everyone is welcome to apply or nominate. Again, you've just got to be a pre-K through 12th grade teacher, instructional staff, support staff, um, or school or network administrator to actually win the award Okay, for Good this to upcoming know. school year. Yep. Good to know. Um, so how can listeners nominate or apply for Educators of Excellence? Our website is the best place for all of this information, newmemphis.org. We have a tab devoted to our educator engagement. Uh, There's also a tab there specific to educators of excellence. You can see some past winners, listen to past podcast episodes, um, see videos of of previous year's winners, and that is the spot to find those beautiful red nomination and application links. Um, And again, that deadline is June 30th. So get them in quickly. Yes. And I will also say that as someone who has um, nominated a few people, a few educators myself, I promise it is not a long application, not application, nomination. I didn't apply. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise, listeners. It is is, um, meant to be straightforward. It's, it, yes, it was very, very simple. simple. Nice. Mm-hmm. It was quick and easy. So get them in. You only have about a week and a half, close to two weeks until uh, that deadline and that door shuts. And you do not want your favorite educators to be left out in the cold. You need to nominate and apply. 
Um, so one more question, Erin. What is your favorite part about the educator work that you get to do? Oh, my goodness. I'm sure all of it is a cop-out answer. It is. Um, and you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> uh, I really love getting to facilitate stride laps, those professional development sessions. Um, it's all really valuable information that I wish I had when I was in my first years in the classroom. You know, I think as a former teacher myself, um, having empathy to understand mm. where an early career educator is at, you know, in October or February of the school year, um, which are just really peak peak times, and to be able to provide something useful and tangible that they can take back into their school buildings to be navigating, um, you know, whatever conflicts they might face daily. And then ultimately knowing that once they're armed with these tools and and have built up that resilience and that kind of toolkit, ultimately, hopefully that leads to them choosing to stay in the classroom. And, right. and we know, you know, the data shows that um, year over year teachers are going to be improving and that that kids will benefit from having that consistency. Um, so it's really it's really rewarding to get to serve teachers in that way and to hear, you know, wow, this helped me get through this tough week at school or make it to the end of this month or to this next break. Um, and I'm seeing what a future in the classroom looks like. Wow. That's that's really exciting. I love that. Um, so, yes, if you have any questions about our educator work, um, you can shoot them over to Erin at NewMemphis.org. E-R-I-N. Yes. And if you can't remember that, just info at NewMemphis.org, and I promise I will get it to her. Um, so if that – I think that about does it for us, for um, our little educator little segment today. Yeah, just a huge thanks to the educators who are out there who are out there, and I hope – um, I'll be hearing from a lot of you in applications, either for Educators of Excellence or for Stride coming across my desk and look forward to meeting you. And I hope you're enjoying your summer because you deserve it. Absolutely. It's far too short and far too hot. But, but you know, it, good it, work. yes. <laughs> Enjoy your relaxing respite. What a fantastic chat. I love talking about education and I love talking about um, it with solutions-minded individuals, which both Dr. Hargrave and Aaron are definitely, would definitely fall into that bucket. So a few quick end-of-show announcements to leave you with before you go on your way. We have had a fantastic turnout for our summer experience kickoff last Thursday over at Carolina Watershed. So special thanks to everyone who came out to join us and to our sponsor, Nike. We are keeping the excitement going this Thursday with Leading in Memphis. Local and visiting college students, summer interns, and young professionals are invited to join us for a panel discussion with top Bluff City business leaders. You'll get to hear their personal stories, their lessons learned along the way, and what it means to be lead in Memphis. So please join us this Thursday for more on that. If you have any questions, go to newmemphis.org for more. And you can also email info at newmemphis.org. Um, this would also be a great opportunity for me to plug that New Memphis is a local nonprofit. So the New Memphis programs, events, initiatives, and yes, even this Meanwhile in Memphis podcast are powered by your donations. We implore you to please consider donating to those things around town that you love, enjoy, and participate in. And most importantly, give to the things that you want to see endure. If the last few years have taught us anything about the craziness of everything— it is that things can change in a moment, so we ask you to put your money where your heart is and support local organizations like New Memphis with your extra pennies. Stay up to date on all of these things and all that we have to offer over at, new, at The New Memphis on Instagram. Until next week, bye!
This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.